0: We are runners in the race of faith. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. And I'm your coach this morning. You're my team of runners, okay? So we're going to be looking at this, what God is wanting to say to us. So verse 1, it says, Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight And sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. The first word is therefore. It's pointing us back to the chapter before, which is chapter eleven, which was the, the hall of faith. And he's saying, You're in an arena, folks. And the people who have gone before the Hall of Faith, folks, they are watching your race. They are cheering you on in the race. And you need to understand that, that we are not alone, that they are cheering for whatever. They're watching us. And we're being cheered on in the arena of faith. And in that thing, we need to remember two things in this verse. First... It talks about encumbrances, which is our weight or things that are staying in the way. If you were in an actual race, you'd be removing body hair, jewelry, baggy clothes, because you didn't want anything that was going to keep you from running faster. But in our Christian life, we need to look around and say, what things that are not sin, but I need to get rid of. What's keeping me from running faster? We're in a late hour, folks, and we want to run faster than we've ever run. We don't want to be half-hearted. We look around our world, and we need to be pressing in further. So what's in your life that's in the way? Get rid of it. Throw it off because we need to run faster. And then it says to that sin, which so clings so closely, we're in a, per- a society that is so permissive. And we've allowed it in the church, and we just think our pet sins are just great, and that's okay, and we just hold on to them, but they're holding you back in your race. Imagine running through a field with high weeds up trying, and they're catching you, and you're running trying to run through it. That's what our sin is. And so throw it off. Don't hold on to the pet things anymore. It is late. We want to run this race fast. And God's saying, throw these things out of the way, the encumbrances in your life and the sin that is holding you back. Verse 2, it says, Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted, First Peter 1 Peter 13 says to prepare your minds for actions. So as my runners, I'm not only going to train your body so that you're strong, but before a race you have to be focused. You have to know half the game is what's in your mind. And so we need to prepare our minds for action, and how do we do that? We focus on Jesus. Not a casual glance, focus. We don't want to be like Peter who when he got out of the boat on the water looked at the winds and the waves and started to sink. Because he lost his focus by what's going on. We can't let all the craziness in our world lose our focus. We have to be our focus on him so that we don't sink and that we press on. Also, Jesus says, it also says about Jesus who says, for the joy that's set before him. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he had a joy set before him. It was our redemption. His suffering had purpose his suffering had meaning. And he wants us to understand that the difficulties and the struggles that are in our lives have meaning and purpose. James 1, 2 through 4 says, I counted all joy when I faced trials of many kinds. Is that because they're fun? Is that because they feel great? No. His focus was what it would do, what it was going to happen. He counted it all joy because it was going to build him in Christ-like. It was going to make him character. He had his focus on the goal, which is exactly what Jesus was showing. Then it says that despising the shame or scorning the shame, some, some translations go. So Jesus, so scorning or shame was looking down on it or minimizing it or thinking it's small. So Jesus went through the worst death in history. He was beat beyond human recognition. He was exposed to the whole society, naked, humiliated, and he counted it a small thing. Why? Because it didn't compare to the goal of our redemption. Because his eyes were on you, and the small things that he was going through were nothing. And runner, if you expect your... If you focus your time on how much pain you're having in the race, if you focus your time, your attention on the winds that are coming against you and the difficulty, you're going to quit. We must call these things as small that we may focus on him and not get lost in the difficulties and the oppositions and the things that are against us because we will get out of the race if we do. Jesus would not have survived the cross if he thought about the pain, if he focused on all that was going on physically, he would not have been able to endure. But his mind was set for action and his focus was upon the joy of you and your salvation. So he could endure the evil, the horror, the awfulness. And that's what we must do. And you see, we have to also be mindful of what he's done. He's gone through more pain than you will ever go through. He's gone through more shame, more humiliation than you will ever even begin to. He doesn't call you to do anything more than he's already done, and he understands and he's with you. Be mindful of what he's done. Remember what he's done. He's not calling you to do anything greater than he's done for you. Be mindful. What he's done for us. And as your coach, I'm going to say this is an endurance race, folks. This is not a sprint. It's a long-term race, and you need to keep your pace up. because it's not a sprint. Verse four, it says, "In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood." This was a military term. They were planting the the idea was that the troops were planted, they were in the battle, and they were fighting. We have fight against sin, and we need to stop playing around. He said, you haven't shed blood yet. You haven't been martyred. So stop giving up. Stop giving up on your sin. Stop giving up on the fight and saying it's too much. You haven't shed blood yet. Stop being permissive like our society Say, Oh, it's okay. Jesus, Jesus thinks that's great. No, he's saying keep in the fight against it. Don't give in. Don't look like this world. Keep up the fight. Verse five. And have you not? Ha, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves you. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. The term discipline means correction or tutoring in, in an educational sense. It means to tell a fault or reprove. Runners must endure, endure, embrace a lot of discipline to be good. And chastisement is punishment. So if you come to my practice and you play around, you're going to run a couple laps. But we have to remember, we talk about it all the time. We're God's kids. And along with that comes discipline. Because we're his kids, he disciplines us. Because he's his kids, he corrects us. Because he, like a good parent, he wants you to be the best you can be. And so he's going to discipline you. He's going to bring of difficulties in your life to build you. He's building you because he loves you and he wants to see things in you. You see, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so he's always bringing things to continue to mold you, shape you, and make you because he's your father. It's not because he hates you, not because he's throwing you out, but because, because he loves you, he's going to push you harder. A good coach pushes you harder because he wants you to be a better athlete. And he's not interested in your convenience or your happiness. I want to make you a good, a good athlete. And likewise, Jesus wants to build you in character. That's his goal. That's what he wants. And so, I need it. I need his discipline. I need him to correct me. And when I get an attitude, I need to run a couple laps. Because I need to know he means business. And he loves me. And because we're in relationship, he's working in me. See, we must fight our cultural idea that man is basically good and just needs a couple little adjustments. My Bible says we're fallen, and without him, we're hell-bound and lost. When we've come to Jesus, he puts his Spirit inside of me, he makes me new, but I still have a flesh nature that's hanging around, and I still have a lot of junk that still needs to be changed. And so... Unlike our world that you can't tell anything to, we need to be those who want discipline and correction. Proverbs Proverbs 9, verses 8 through 9 says, Correct a scoffer, and he will hate you. Correct a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. So God wants us to be the wise people. To be the ones that who, who will listen to correction. Who are humble. Who are teachable. Anyone can correct me on things and teach me things. And then I take it to the feet of Jesus and I say, what was good and what was bad? I spit out the bad. But anybody can correct us if we value learning. See, the wise man knows he doesn't know everything. And so he always wants to learn. So he's always teachable. It's the arrogant one you can't tell anything to, and that's the way our world acts, and we can't be like them because we want to be wise ones like the Lord wants us to be. So that means we are teachable, we are humble, and we're always moldable because we've never learned everything. Verse 7. It's It's for discipline that you have... To endure, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. You see, Roman fathers had strong authority over their sons. It was unthinkable that a father was not disciplining his son. And so if he didn't discipline you, You were either a slave in the household or somebody who was not part of the family or had no part in the inheritance. So you weren't even involved, you weren't part of the family. And so God disciplines you because you're part of his family, because you're in relationship with him, because he cares about you, because he loves you. He has invested interest in you and he's making you into something. And so we are not to despise that, but we are to embrace it. And we don't faint. We don't fall on the floor and say, my God, somebody corrected me. Get over it. We all have to learn all the time. Proverbs. There's lots in Proverbs. Pastor did a tremendous teaching last week about the fear of the Lord and understanding The fear of God and how awesome and powerful and great and mighty and wise he is. And for us to realize he isn't just our buddy, but he is the Almighty God, the King of Glory, the great I Am, the Great One that when we see His presence, we're gonna be shaken and on the floor. And realizing that's the God we serve. Well, I want to take it a step related to that and it says and say, He's also our authority. You see, our society hates authority because it's rebellious. But God is also our authority, which means that we need to fear him because we answer to him. You give an account. Proverbs 3.7 says, don't be wise in your own mind. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Because we fear him, we don't do things he doesn't want us doing. Because we know we're going to give an account to him. We're going to own to him and say, yes, sir, this is what you had said. When he gave me something to do, I stand before him and say, this is what I did because I'm accountable. He is my authority. I answer to him for what I've done with the gifts of my life. I answer him with what I'm doing with my life. He's my authority. But because he loves me, he's not going to throw lightning bolts at me. But I need to know I answer to someone. And if I knew I am going to answer and I'm going to be held accountable, then I don't do certain stupid things. Because I know I'm going to answer for that. You see, that's what is missing in our world today. There's no fear of God. They don't think they're going to be accountable to anyone. They think they can do all these awful things. And they're not going to stand to someone and give account. But we are not like that or to be like that. We need to understand that, yes, he's our authority. He loves me. I'm part of his family. He cares for me. But he's my authority. And I answer to him. Yes, my big brother, my father, but he's my authority. And as that, I have to give an account of things I'm doing. And I have to answer to him. And I need that because it keeps me on the straight and narrow and it keeps me from trying stupid things I don't even consider stupid things because I know I'll have to give an account we need to understand that because the almighty God the king of glory he is our king he is our lord he's our master he's the one who, who bought us we belong to and we answer to make sense? okay Now I've been talking a lot about authority and discipline and fathers and stuff. And there's many of us that that's not the best subject. Some of us didn't have a dad that was around. Some of us had bad examples of what a dad would be. And um, I probably fit in that camp. So sometimes this subject can be hard for us to relate to because of the bad examples or the lack of examples. And um, my father, he was a good provider. He was an honest man, but it sort of ended there. He was a workaholic. He didn't have to have multiple jobs to keep food on the table, but he insisted on having an absolutely perfect house on the outside and keeping the great image and everything. And so he never had time for myself or my two brothers at all because he was so busy keeping a beautiful house. He was also a raging, angry individual that we had to walk in eggshells around because we were frightened to set up another explosion. I learned when I was this high to stay away from him because he wasn't safe. And I didn't want to see him do to me what I saw him do to my older brother. (laughs) His discipline was explosive and frightening. But you see, God intended fathers to represent him well. And unfortunately, some haven't. So in my life, in coming to the Lord, I had to press through a lot of things to learn him as father and as disciplinarian, and to be able to receive that. Because it didn't change who he was, but he was gracious to be taking me through and healing me and helping me be able to embrace who he really was. Just because I had a bad example didn't mean I could act like a moron and not have to embrace things. But it meant he was going to be compassionate with me, heal me, and help me to come to a place where I could embrace his fathering, his discipline, his care, and realize that what he was doing was for my good. It wasn't just because he was angry at me and I wanted he wanted to get me out of his place because he didn't have any time for me. No, he was disciplining me because he loved me, had invested interest, and he wanted me to become something. You see, God's disciplines were life, all our life. We don't get to say, well, that's just for the young kids. He's going to discipline us the rest of our lives because he's still continuing to build us into those things he wants us to be. Romans 8, 29 says that his goal is to make you look like Jesus. So to do that, he's bringing discipline and things in your life to purge out the things that don't, to mold you more and more into his image. So our part is to embrace that and to allow him to do that. And to say, yes, Father, discipline, work it in me. I've got a lot to learn. My goal is to look like you, not to just have everything easy. A couple years ago, many years ago, a pastor of mine taught me a principle called redo. You see, the Lord allows things in your life, difficult things and tough things, because he wants to build you. And you have a choice. You can learn from those things or you can get the redo. And I learned a long time ago when I kept having the same problem time and time again and I kept going around the same mountain of men, that I was getting the redo. So I said, Lord, teach me what one want to learn. Show me what I need to go because I don't want to redo on this one. And it started moving a lot quicker. So I really enjoyed that lesson because I got really tired of the redo. So I would recommend that to you as well, because in the difficulties and the trials that come along, you have a choice. You can become out bitter, ugly, act like the world, or you can become better, more like Christ and have more of his fruit. The choice is yours. You're going to get through the difficulty and you're going to get through the trial. It's a matter of how. And it's the choices on your side, whether you'll submit and let him form you or whether you're going to rebel and act like our world. Discipline doesn't feel good at all, but it brings fruit. John 15, he talks about that he is the vine and we are the branches. And it says that he will prune off in us so that we become more fruitful. So every fall, I have a magnolia tree in the front of my house and I prune off the deaf branches and the branches and every spring it's got more flowers and more leaves But I can just imagine it going, ouch, stop that. I don't like what you're doing. Because it hurts. But that's the same thing with us. Brace that. It's going to hurt, but I is on the fruit. I is on being teachable. I is that I want to gain wisdom. I is that I want to conform to his image. I is that I want to run faster this race, that I can let him do these things in me and continue to make me like himself. So we must embrace the suffering and the difficulties that he brings in the right spirit. Now for some of us, because we've lived in a fallen world, there's many things that have come our way that weren't the Lord's plan for our lives. They've come through the hand of evil men and women, and we live in this fallen world. But there's not one thing that's come towards you that he cannot use for his purpose if you let him. I'm going to say that again. There's not one thing that has come to you that he cannot use for his purpose if you let him. We live in a fallen world. He lets men and women make choices. Those choices affect other people. But he can work it for good when we let him. And we must let him. So in conclusion, as your coach, I'm saying run the race. Throw off your hindrances. Throw off the sin that is still holding on to. Prepare your mind for the action. There is a race ahead of you. It's not always going to be fun, but you have to prepare your mind and be in the game and be thinking of this. It's a long-term goal, the long-term race with a long-term goal of being like Jesus. Embrace his discipline. You're his athlete's. What athlete doesn't have discipline? They're never any good if they don't have some discipline. Keep a good attitude. Keep a teachable heart. Remember that the stakes are high. The crowd is watching you. And we need to run this race to win. If the Lord is speaking to you today, I'm going to have a prayer for all of you, for anybody who wants to stand up and say, have the Lord pray for you. If anybody wants to stand up for that. Then we're going to have a video about um, a program we're going to have. And then after Pastor Ron closes, if you want more prayer, the prayer teams and I will be up here to pray for you specifically if you'd like prayer. So if the Lord's speaking something to you and you want me to pray for you, stand up. Father, we thank you that you're our Father. Help us embrace your discipline. Help us embrace your correction. Help us be the wise people that we're to be, always teachable, not wise in our own eyes. Help us realize that hard things that are happening are for our good. And Lord, heal those of us that have the father problem of seeing you as father because of bad examples. We know that you can heal and redeem all things. And we're asking that you will work in us. Take the word that you're saying. Put it deep in our heart that it might take firm root. And we thank you in Jesus' name.